This is the Bittersweet and Twisted Records podcast with Vince and Bobby. I'm Vince. I'm Bobby. And here we are once again after many, many, many years. It hasn't been that many. It's only been like months. Yeah, it's only been months. But what what are years made of? Months, but it hasn't been 12. It's been a few. It feels like it. It's been a while, yes. So we're here. We're here. Welcome to listening to us. Oh, where have you been? Where have I been? Where have you been? Uh, finishing up my internship. Yeah. Yeah. And um, now I'm trying to get back into swing of things. Yep, finally. Yeah. What have you been doing? Well, while you were doing that, I was going through totes and boxes, trying to clean up stuff and throw out things. And I found all the old um, video and audio files from interviews I had done back in 2002 for a documentary about British musician Andy Sexgang, founder of the band Sexgang Children. That's interesting. Yeah, and I was going, there was a lot of memories, a lot of memories yeah. attached, going to Brixton back. Actually, it was in June of. 2022 so it's going to be the 20th anniversary here whoa when you're listening to this and so i mean the documentary was finished and it was out for a while got some screenings but it was pulled from distribution um a couple reasons Mm -hmm. you know you know you know andy reached out to me with one particular concern and andy is the the subject of it so and then you know there ended up being another reason later on if he if he hadn't requested it so you know it was fine he got viewed by some people a handful of people and the people that saw it most of them gave it good reviews okay um so when i was going through the box of stuff and i was listening to the interviews which um had been recorded on many discs i realized a lot of interview clips that didn't make the final documentary Oh. So. So, what are you going to do with these? I decided this would be really good podcast material. Mm-hmm. I'm intrigued. And so, I, um, so when I had done this documentary, my friend Kieran and I had went over. Okay. And did interviews. Um, I had written them and he was going to ask them. So, we went over there. And so, I would contacted him. I was like, hey, you cool if I use these interviews? For the podcast, because he's the one talking through most of them, asking the questions. Kieran, oh, okay. Yeah, excited. Mm-hmm. And um, he was like, "Yeah, fine." So he'll probably be in episode. This is this series going to be four parts. Because it turned out there was a lot of interview stuff we didn't use in the That's final exciting. document. So he's he's probably going to be in episode four. Okay. And though he'll reminisce on things and um. Um. So yeah, it was um, it was interesting. Going to the Wayback Machine. The listening. Wayback Machine. Yeah, back in days. So... You know, it's funny. It yeah. was on this trip to Brixton when I first heard the phrase, back, back in, in days. days. Yeah. Yes. Those two different European guys we interviewed, and they both said, back in days. And that's when I was first... Because, you know, in the U.S. we say back in the day. Yes. But apparently Europeans say back in days. Yes, you um, introduced me and to so, that because I had no idea what you were speaking of. I thought you were talking Old English. I so, guess technically, would it be Old English? No, I don't know. I don't know if the British say it. I know. Oh, I don't know. But, um, so 
So let me give you a little background on yeah, Andy Sex Game. I have game. so many questions. Because um, most people were like, who? Well, can I ask before you start, yeah. what <clears throat> made you pick this band? Well, at the time, like I had first encountered um, Sex Gang um, back in 93. Yeah. They, Sex Gang Children had an album out called Medea, and it was reviewed in episode an issue of this zine called industrial gear which later became gear it was based out of i think um upper darby um pa so they had a review of the medea album and it sounded really interesting okay and i was like wow i was like i want this album so so you went to your local record store record store went to, um, rainbow records in newark delaware nice. and they didn't have it but they did order it for me cool and so it was um it's, you know, the um, a lot of people they'll call like um, they describe Sex Gang as like goth, post punk, right? Positive punk. It's all that and more. All that and more. Yeah, Andy's done spoken word also okay. and instrumental work, so it's a combination of all these things. But the album was really great, and it sent me on this rabbit hole of tracking down his stuff, and. Um, it's Which funny. was not as easy it is today, kids. Yeah, yeah there was <laughs> there was no the there's no the in, internet. There's no internets, <laughs> so you had to do like find magazines, right? And stuff, yeah, and, and zines, and I don't yeah. even know if the. I mean, there's still some of yeah. those out there, but but it's funny. Around the same time, a friend of mine in school, he gave me a stack of um Brian Mackey. He gave me a stack of uh, old issues of Fangoria. Horror magazine. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which I wish I still had. Me too. And one of them was from like '85. Okay. And it had a little blurb in it um, for uh, Dario Gento's movie Phenomenon, talking about the soundtrack, mm-hmm. which had like Motorhead and right. Goblin, Iron Maiden, and it said, "Hardcore Heroes, the Anti-Sex Gang." Oh. So they met Anti-Sex Gang. Okay. They called the Anti-Sex Gang. That's funny. So, that was probably the second time I read about Andy okay. in a magazine. Um. So where was I going with that? Oh yeah. So there wasn't a lot. So this was I was ninety three. So by late nineties, you know, internet was slowly coming chugging along. So I was trying to find um stuff about Andy, and there was little bits here and there. Yeah. And since I had a lot of free time, I made a uh, Andy Sex Gang website. How did you have so much free time? Weren't you in school? I finished school and and was working. So you graduated in no a certain year. Certain year, you already said you were done school. Well, you already said ninety three. So. Well, I I wasn't done in ninety three. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, and then I found Andy's official website. Uh-huh. It was like, but it wasn't like AndySexing dot com. It was like, um, like www.pipex.co.uk backslash. How did you even three five five backslash da da da, and some primitive search engine. So you like just typed in like Andy Sex Gang Andy Sex and finally Gang found and that's it. what came up. Yeah, finally. And oh, so I emailed, I emailed emailed him and sent him a link to what I was doing. I was probably like a um oh, what were those um probably like a GeoCities website or something. Okay, yeah. Something like that. And I sent the link to him. They're like, Oh, it's really great, thank you so much and you know, so and Andy was working on a solo album called Veil at the time, so I got thanked in the Veil album. Oh, wow. And then so fancy. eventually, like, there was a little more email back and forth. And then he wanted to call me one night. And then he wanted me to do his official website. 
Okay. So I did andysexang.com. And then he was starting to do stuff with Sex and Children again, playing okay. European festivals. Yeah. And so I got sexandchildren.com back for him from another fan. Right. And so I was doing them. So I was designing his websites. And so my friend Kieran, he's like, you know, someone should do a documentary about Andy because there's not a lot out there about him. But what intrigued you about that? Just the music. The just music, the, music the music is what grabbed you. Yeah, because there, was, there you, wasn't the a whole communication. lot. And then I just, you know, then you start de- delving into that early 80s post-punk goth oh, scene, yeah. how oh, interesting gosh. all the bands were. But That would have been fun. Let me give you um, an idea of and- where Andy's place in that was. Okay. And so this was a quote from Ian Asbury, The Cult, from Alternative Press, November 1994. Okay. So Ian said, One of the groups coming up at the same time as Southern Death Cult was Sex and Children, and Andy, he used to dress like a Banshees fan, and I used to call him the Gothic Goblin because he was a little guy, and he's dark. He used to like Edith Piaf and all this macabre music, and he lived in a building in Brixton called Visigoth Towers. So he was the little Gothic Goblin, and his followers are Goths. That's where Goth came from. Really? So that's according to Ian Asbury of the Cult. So if you got a problem with what I just read, take it up with Ian. But I think he would know, mm-hmm. since he was there. Interesting. So, so there was that, and though, and so Kieran was like, "Oh, someone should do a documentary on Andy." Mm-hmm. I'm like, "Yeah, someone should." And he was like, "Someone should." I'm like, "Oh yeah, we should do it." Oh, funny. So, but we didn't have any equipment, so he um he got like a mini disc recorder for audio, and then he bought this video camera. Yeah. Off a guy on eBay. Like an old school big one. No, it wasn't that big. It was dig- digital, but. The guy he bought from had been in the military and he had been stationed in Japan. Okay. So all the menus were in Japan, Japanese. Oh, my goodness. So we couldn't figure out how to use it, so I had to buy one. So. Why didn't you just buy an American Because I don't, because Kieran was looking for manual. a Manual. Because I still couldn't figure out because all the menus were in Japanese on the camera itself. Oh, so you couldn't even all know the, what kind of. Yeah, all the on-screen was. stuff was in Japanese. I would have just found somebody walking the, down the street. No. no. <laughs> so. So, so yeah, that was it. So we're like, all right, let's do it. So, um, but uh, yeah, so that's what we did. Um, give you a little more sex gang information. Yes, I want to know then more. Shortly, we will head into part one interview. Mm-hmm. Before we get to that, Andy formed Sex Gang Children in Brixton in early 1982. Like I said before, it was described as a mix of goth, right. post-punk, and positive punk. Now, the band had success on the UK indie chart right away with their live album, Naked, which charted at number 15, and their Beasts EP at number 8. And then their um, debut studio album, Song and Legend, went to number 1 on the UK indie chart. And over the next few years, they charted with the singles Into the Abyss at number 7, Sebastian at number 19, Marisha Mayer at 7, and a remix of Dietschy at 15. Another live album, Ecstasy and Vendetta over New York, hit at number 20, and the band's final charting release would be the remix album, Re-Enter the Abyss, at number 22 in 1985. Alright, so how long was there? Like, that was three eight, years. Three 82, years? 82 oh, okay. to 85. So not a very long career. No. And then there was a bunch of lineup changes and business issues yeah. and all the usual stuff. And the band split. And Andy went solo. And over the last 30 years, Andy has alternated between solo releases and new Sex Gang Children stuff. Okay. No rhyme or reason to it. Just whatever he feels like at the time. Oh, right. But, you know, that's a little history of the band. 
Um, like I said before, it was 20 years ago that Kira and I went and did these interviews. Mm-hmm. And when we did the, um, we were over there in 2002, we were talking to Andy how it was the 20th anniversary of Sex Gang. Oh, okay. So now we're, so this four-part series. Right, these, it's going to be 40 years. So, yeah, there's four parts. It'd be four, 40th anniversary of Sex Gang and 20 for the interviews. Right, oh, that's um, exciting. So we're going to have parts one, two, and three are Andy interviews. Yeah. And part four will be interviews of a bunch of other musicians, people who were in Sex Gang at the time. Okay. Plus, we got interviews with um, Anesh from KMFDM and Slick Idiot. Nice. And, um, That's exciting. And Mark Thwaite, who was played with a zillion people. He's played with The Mission mm-hmm. and Peter Murphy and Gary Newman. And he's done solo stuff and tons of remixes. So, the next couple months, <laughs> um, I have a lot to listen to. Yes. I'm definitely intrigued. And so maybe I'll actually listen to this one fully. You should never say you listen to the <laughs> podcast. How can you expect people to listen to it if you don't listen? I know. I'm sorry. I need to listen to it. I know. I've been busy. I'm I, sorry. Grad I, school. I've I been always, busy. I always listen to the podcast. Well, except I, for except for those two solo ones I did. I'll never listen to those again. <laughs> Apparently, no one else listened to them either. So. Oh well. I think they just, the listeners, just like the dynamic duo of us. I think they do. Because when we did that, um, that Q&A episode, that yeah. was the last one we did, that's like our third most listened to episode. Woohoo! Thanks, just, guys. Just us talking about ourselves pretty much. Uh, well, we don't mind doing that. Sure don't. <laughs> All right, so we will be right back in a moment with interview... Part one with Andy Seskin. All right, take a listen. you know what's more interesting than the podcast? I'm not sure. Is it going to our website? It would be. And what is our website? It's bittersweetandtwistedrecords.com. Yep. It's also bittersweetandtwisted.com because I had the foresight to get both of them. Oh, thank goodness because I would not have. And on there, we have our link to our um, Tea Public store. Yes. And what can you buy there? All kinds of things with our merchandise logo yeah. on it. Yeah. T-shirts. T-shirts. Onesies. Koozies. Underwear. Underwear. You could literally get underwear. I was thinking about it. Stickers. Stickers. Buttons. I think we have a pillow on there. Yeah. And mugs. Everything. All kinds of crap. You too can have our awesome And logo. you should buy it. You should buy it. Because we need to buy records with that money. Absolutely. So, and those and sp- records. And speaking of records... We also have a link on there to our eBay store. That's right. In turn, go back to you, our listeners. If and right now on that um, on the eBay store, we have over 400 items. Yes. And last couple of weeks, I have been listing like a madman. A madman. Absolutely. So, and a lot of stuff I've been listing it sells really quick. So mm-hmm. Yes. Go on there. Look. You're, if you want, look every day because our inventory is constantly changing, uh, being the, updated. For the last couple of weeks, I have been listing every day. You have been. And um, we always, I always post what I list over on Instagram. Yes. Which that link is on the website. Yes, check that out. Facebook is on the website. Absolutely. What else is on the website? 
Oh, link to our um, where all you can listen to the podcast, yes. which is Spotify, right? Apple Podcast, and also that goes along with our podcast. Um, we also have a corresponding playlist playlist of that music. goes with it, which is sometimes very random, but it's very fun and it somehow always links up with the podcast. I was going to say Rod Stewart. <laughs> But it does, too. Yeah, it does. There is Rod in there. There's always Rod in there. Always Rod. Whether it's good Rod or bad Rod. That's true. Yes. Um, uh, There's there's other links on there. Um, What's on there? The Twitter that we don't care about. Um, Linktree. All that stuff's on Linktree. Okay, all that's on Linktree. Okay. Uh, I think think I don't know if there's a link to the TikTok we've never used on there. Oh, yeah. I guess we need to be hip and cool like the kids and mm. do a TikTok somehow. Like, here's the old people using TikTok. Yes. People be like, they're like, oh, look, they have their canes out. How cute. Oh, not really. But some days we feel like we need them. Yeah. But yes, go on there and check it out. And because our logo is super awesome, I love it. And it was designed <coughs> by yours truly, Vincent. I think you say you, yours no. truly and just leave it there and take no, credit for yours it. No, tru- you're truly Vincent. W- wouldn't be the first time you took credit for my work. <gasps> um, Harsh. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of stuff on there. Buy it. Um, help keep the podcast going. Yeah, help with, get our with, store. With your money. We've got, we got big plans, but we need you to buy stuff and listen to the podcast and give us your attention and money. Yes, please. And so, we sh- I shall be back more often. You should be, because we're going to try to get back on schedule of doing the podcast every other week. Absolutely. And it'll be very helpful that I will now be living with you full time. Are you scared? No, I was just burping. Okay. Um, I'll get to hear that all the time. Yeah, out both ends. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. So, all the music stuff you can listen to and look at and buy and everything. BittersweetTwistedRecords.com. Yes. Make sure you check it out. Check it out. Okay. Okay. Let's go. Let's go back in days. Back in days. Early June of 2002. I feel like I need the old typewriter. Like typing this as you go. Yes. Brixton. Brixton. England. England. I'm picturing it. You gonna picture it correctly? Most likely not. I've never been there, but I'm gonna picture. So, it. <laughs> so, 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 Kieran and I were, you know, we were going to go over and uh, do, start do interviews, documentary. Originally, we were gonna stay with one Andy's one friend, who shall go unnamed. But the morning we were supposed to leave from Philly, mm-hmm. I was on the phone. He was like, really, really weird. Like, what do you mean, like, really weird, like... Like, creepy, creepy and angry. Oh. And I, I called Andy, and I was like... I was like, I'm really unnerved. I don't I don't mm-hmm. want to s- stay with him. So Andy was like... He was like, well, what time's your flight? And he goes, he's, he's, I told him, he goes, all right, hold on, I'll call you back. So a little while later, he comes back. He's okay, I found somewhere for you to stay. He's like, you can stay with my friend Deborah, Deborah from Iowa. Deborah from Iowa. He's like, figures, you know, someone from the state, yeah. so you'll feel more comfortable. So, so we stayed with Deborah, Deborah from Iowa. Well, what did the other guy think? Did he. I don't know. I'd never heard from him again. Oh. But, okay. um, but Debbie, 
She was indeed from Iowa, and she'd studied art in, Debbie. It, in Italy. Oh, she's fancy. And so and she was she was living in um, Brixton, and so Karen and I stayed at her flat. And saw some of her paintings, and it was, her work was just phenomenal. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why she wasn't a mm. known artist. It's just her work was so good. Maybe you can find her on the internet. Maybe, and there was also this young Russian guy staying with her. Mm-hmm. He had dreads, a really shitty um, pinhead from Hellraiser tattoo. Okay. And he was selling jewelry he was making. Oh. So he was staying there too. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Okay. And um, he smelled really bad. Uh, like nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Like I'm not saying, say no more. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I remember one morning, like I, I got a shower and I left my towel in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And then he went in to get a shower and I told Karen, I was like, oh shit, I left my towel in there. I bet you anything, that, that dirty fuck used it. Ugh. So he, like I left, I went there, grabbed my towel and yeah. s- smelled it. It was the most heinous smelling thing I've ever had wow. gone in my nostrils in my life. Ew. And I hope that Russian guy doesn't find this podcast and come over here and murder me. He might. Maybe he'll or, strangle you with one of his dreads. Maybe. <laughs> maybe he'll um, and I, maybe he'll hack into my stuff. You know? oh. Russian hacker topical yeah. reference. Anyway, I digressed a little bit. So Karen and I were over in Brixton, Sam Deborah, Deborah from Iowa. Deborah. And Andy was mixing um the Bastard Art album. Okay. That was Sex and Children's first album since Medea in 93. So he was spending a lot of time in the studio. And so um, I think it was, it, I can't remember if it was the first night we were there or the second night, but we went over and met Andy at a nearby pub in Brixton, mm-hmm. the George Four. Okay. And he walked by us at first. And 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 Debbie was like, Andy, your, your friends are right here. And he was like, oh! And so went and had That's a funny drink with him well, I would, I, and i'll go into more about our first meeting with him when when, okay. I, when kieran i feel like that is on you would be able to pick out americans fairly easy i don't know i guess i feel like well, we stand out well i guess we know a white guy oh. and indian so i guess in in, oh, well, in england they're yeah. like eh. i guess so but um so so we met him and i talked and kieran will have a lot to say about that okay so that'll be in part four um, so a couple of days after that, we convened for our first interview session with Andy. All right. And that so was, what was that night? Just <coughs> hanging out, getting to yeah. like, know each other more yeah. personable Yeah, because I'd, okay. I'd never met Andy in person before, just talking on the right, phone. Right, talking on the phone. Okay. Um, so interview number one was at a barbecue at a flat, an apartment. A flat. Yes, that's an apartment, Americans. Atop a funeral home. Oh, that sounds wonderful. So, and um, so this um, this flat was um, living in it were two members of the group Medieval Babes. Now, the Medieval Babes were formed by Catherine Blake of the band Miranda Sex Garden, but she wasn't there. But two of the Medieval Babes were there: um, mm-hmm. Rachel and I believe, I believe Audrey. And I didn't. We didn't. Kira, I didn't know. It. We'd heard of Medieval Bays, but we didn't mm-hmm. know that's whose flat we were in okay. until I was in the restroom, bathroom, whatever. Yeah. And the, the, the loo. I was in the loo. The loo. And there was a um, a plaque for so many albums sold, leaning framed against the wall. Uh huh. And I was looking at it. It had a Medieval Babes album cover. I forget oh. how many thousands of copies it had sold. And I was looking at the album cover, and I was looking at the people on it, and I was like, "Wait a second. Some of these are in the other room." Oh, that's funny. 
And so that's when I put it together. I and, honestly uh, say I've never heard of the medieval babes. Really? Yeah. And well, I think that's like I think Catherine, I'll have to look them up. Catherine keeps changing up the whole lineup every so often. I feel but, like it would be all I picture is like some women dressed up in Renaissance. Fair pretty much. Okay, yeah. Pretty much. But it's funny. Kira and I were talking to them, and they just got back from a U.S. tour. And they were talking about being in Philly on South Street. Uh-huh. How much they love South Street. Oh, well, yeah. But Who doesn't love a good South Street? No one loves it now. South Street sucks now. There's like no. so many empty stores. And well, there's still some good stores there, though. Like three. That's all I need. Oh, it used to be great. Now it's like <laughs> dead. But, um, so Rachel was dating Carl Magnuson, who was in Sex and George at the, at the time. Okay. But they later got married and moved back to Carl's native Sweden. Oh, okay. Um, so that was a little background information. So nice. before, so Kira and I got the camera set up, mini disc set up, got Andy mic'd up, and he had his girlfriend at the time with him. Mm-hmm. And um, before we could even get the first question out, she started interviewing Andy. She started interviewing. She started interviewing. But didn't she already know him? That's his girlfriend. She, yeah, she started asking about about stuff. I Kira and I looked at each other like, what the fuck are you doing? And so she did this like a few times. And Kira, he, I'll give him credit. You know, he did a good job of directing the interview back to the questions I had written that he had. And um, for this interview, um, this first part, it got cut short because at the end it started raining. Okay. But before it started raining, we um, covered a number of topics. The beginning of Sex Gang Children. Okay. And thanks to Andy's girlfriend, we also talked about communism and commercialism. Oh. And politics. The two important C's. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to say anything. Um, And then Andy talked about working with um, composer Simon Boswell, Nikki Garrett of the UK Subs, Tony James, Boy George, Mark Allman, Bick Ronson, and movie director Dario Argento. Mm. And he also talked about his days of being a squatter. And if you didn't know, in the late 70s, early 80s, mm-hmm. in the UK, to combat the rampant homelessness, mm-hmm. many would take over unused buildings to live in. And it was illegal. All right. Yes, it, it's does. still illegal still in the UK. Illegal. But there are certain circumstances in which long-term squatters can become the owner of registered, uh, become the registered owner of the property. Right. And that can happen here in the US as well. I know. And it's very it's crazy. It's crazy. It is crazy. But... That's your little bit of background okay. on part one of the interview. And like I said, it started raining, so we moved the interview inside. Okay. And that will be in the next episode. Nice. So you have to come back a couple weeks. Yes. To hear and what hear happened about on the, the inside. And hear the interviews and about what happened. Yes. And hopefully you'll find us entertaining. Listen, Listening back to it, I found it really interesting. I mean, I guess it's because... I was there. You were there, so you have the memories tied to it. But I, I find it's going to be very interesting. I want to know more. I mean, it's really interesting when you hear someone talk about a certain time right. in history. Someone who was there, not someone just regurgitating crap they heard online. I mean, the dude was there. And so, you know, it's interesting. It's interesting. He's an interesting dude. He's tough. Um, I mean, when I was younger and I had seen photos... Of him when mm-hmm. he was younger. Yeah. It was very interesting looking. 
As in, in his, in his, in his day, in his day, in his costumes that he chose when he performed was. So yeah, so um, as you're listening to the podcast, mm-hmm. go ahead, hit up Google Images, or not. <laughs> make sure, you, make sure if you go to Google Images, you put in Andy A N D I, yeah, Andy Sex Gang. Don't put in sex gang children. Oh, yeah, because some weird stuff might come up? Yeah, unfortunately, which has really hindered the ban in recent years. Oh, Um, and the feds may come looking for you. Yeah. So, without any further rambling, Mm -hmm. this is the Andy Sex Gang interview, part one. One. Who knows? What is your political sort of slant then? My political slant is, um, I believe in justice and I believe in freedom, the most precious word in the dictionary. It but really we were is. talking about communism earlier and you were saying yeah, that, that I'm, was quite a good Yeah, I'm very thing. sad for the demise, for the fall, and the demise of the communist uh, ideology. I really am. It, now it's become an embarrassing, out of fashion, out of date trait. But, but in fact, matter. you know. It, it's yeah, never going to yeah, go out it, of it, date, Exactly. I totally agree with you. It absolutely never never will. But, um, you know, the way things are marketed now, yes, it is. Because everything now is, is um, uh, you know, affiliated to uh, a fashionable representation of oneself. And now we live in the worst system that there ever has been invented, which is consumer fascism. This is worse than any politic. Or any political system it's 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 something where it is George Orwell's nightmare of 1984 it's where we have totally sold out to to the power of materialism and the power of cell what the fuck what comes next you know people are people queue up to go to you know shops in designer shops in Sloan Street and um, you know there are these like secret service type bouncers on the door with these like you know headphones and um and it's like oh please 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 make you know i hope i'm okay and dressed okay to come into your store and like pay your over fucking priced prices you know and it's like you know it's like oh i hope i'm not cresting up his walk-in so the person behind me thinks oh you know they're cool and i'm not embarrassed and that's what it's about we have become fucking slaves we are now in the worst fucking system there is. Now this, uh, the real issue is the um, system that everybody is in right now, consumer fascism, and that's what must be fought. Next question, sorry. The consumer fascism paradigm that you've outlined, um, is it sort of the same political struggle you saw when you were a squatter? No, Is fuck it an that. Outgrowth of, from that. Were you shown any of the c- clippings? No, or, we haven't uh, been able to. So I don't K- really. Kate has those. I mean, they were like. Um, no, that 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 was that was part of it, you know. And at that time, I was in my teens, and you know, I was young, dumb, full of cum, naive, whatever. Um, but that that's a beauty. That's a beautiful energy that everybody has at that age, and there's nothing wrong with that I think there's everything fantastic about that I really do I think it's a great energy um, and naivety is something that one should not be embarrassed about one should always be proud to be naive if that's what they are 
ask questions always a good thing yeah and there's nothing wrong with being naive and not knowing everything absolutely um that was that was part of it i mean but but in in, in every situation there are people who are doing that thing now in a different situation and they mean as well as the people who did it 20 years ago 10 years ago 100 years ago 2000 years ago it's the same thing you get some people who do it for their own selfish reasons uh, because they're rebelling against a personal thing and some people who do it because they really do not believe in the injustice that exists in the greater scheme of things and you're always going to get that and um, yeah the squatting thing was it's not like now at that time that I was involved with it we just happened to be squatting it's like the one thing that somebody pointed out was that my god it's like you, you weren't squatting about yourselves or it was about you, you were fighting something for something that was for everybody and why is that such a big deal it's like absolutely that's the way any cause should be fought it's not about yourself fuck yourself you can survive you can survive if you choose to fight you can survive it's about it's about doing something for everyone else for you know if you see injustice fuck it if you feel against against that injustice fight it change it you know change it why not but even then there were like um, people who sort of squatted if you were squatting that didn't mean to say that you were right on or whatever because there were assholes who were just you know in it for themselves and uh and really they didn't need to squat because they weren't really homeless I've been homeless as many you know thousands tens of thousands of others have been they didn't need to be squatting you know because they came from affluent backgrounds which is nothing wrong with that but you know um, what I would say is this that those people were squatting and were political in that situation they never fought for the greater cause they fought um, for their own sense of world within their own squat or squatted street and one I could give you many examples of that but you can look it up in any um, periodical history journals whatever and find out for yourself it, it's about doing something because it, it's about doing something for a greater cause or for your own reasons and that's where the people fall into two different categories somebody who does it for their own reasons think that's right somebody who does it for a greater reason not their own thinks that's right too you've got to decide which is more valid which is right and wrong um, sir i'm just are these your cigarettes help yourself just have the people cigarettes i'd like to talk about uh, the formation of panic button about sorry the formation of panic button you can go back i've never heard of them panic button Ah, oh, my God! Um, I was one of several and many people in London who I looked up to at the time. These great, great ideas, people who are George O'Dowd was one of them, um, and Vaughan Toulouse was another a guy who had a band called Department S. I just thought these were great people, and uh, they had a. They would go around saying, "Yeah, I've got a band," and they didn't have a band. It was, um, it was just them and an idea and, and then uh, they would say that they did these gigs and they never did these gigs but the word would go back a great gig was done and blah 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 and Panic Bot was about that. It was um, 
God, I wish I could record that sound, it's great. Um, they, they never, it's down, isn't it? They, um... Mad. So I used to go around and say, yeah, I've got this band Panic Bun, and, and I used to hang around in this place called Boy, um, King's Road, punk shop, punk shop, before I actually started working there part-time. And, um, they, uh, this one, one day this guy who was, who was managing it, he manages punk band, The Straps, and he said to me, Andy, he said, he said you, you've got a band, haven't you? And he said, Panic Bun, I said, yeah. And uh, he just got to put the phone down, he said, he said, uh, this, you know, the straps are doing this like big gig and, you know, he said, the support band has just dropped out. He said, can you do it? And I went, yeah, no problem. And I didn't even have a fucking band. And I went, no problem. And I finished my cigarette and uh, I didn't want to rush out and make it look like I was too obvious. I finished my cigarette slowly and then I went, I'll see you. And I walked out slowly and as soon as I was out of eye shot, I ran down the King's Road to the fucking tube and went back home and was like, made phone calls and was like, I gotta find a band. I had less than two weeks to do this gig and I had to find a band and rehearse them and do the gig. But it was done. Dave Roberts actually did that gig and uh, badly. And uh, so, uh, anyway, the, that was the way it was. Um, did it go down well? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. People just like looked, and that was it. I honestly don't know. But the thing is, is that uh, everyone did that. Fall into loose shorts with dad. But I just thought that was great. You know, it was about jumping in the deep end and then learning to swim. And that's what Panic Button was. It was just me and very stiff and lineups over a year. And uh, then, when I found I had the right lineup, um, and I was looking for a change of name, and uh, the music by this time my songs had changed and they become a lot harder and heavier and. Uh, that's when Sex Gang Children started. So was, your, was that the start of your first public performance, or had you been performing before? No, I'd, I'd done shows over the years. Um, a few shows, whenever I could get them, as I said. In fact, the beginning of Sex Gang Children, we did less shows um, than I'd done the previous year's Panic Button because um, we could not get gigs. Uh, no, no place would put us on um, with a name like that, and with the music as well. By that time, it was very developed. Apparently, it comes from a William Burroughs poem, and some asshole, some fuck in Italy, in his fucking expensive, like, Giorgio Armani fucking cardigan, in some radio station, doing an interview, and he says, oh, did you know it comes from a William Burroughs poem? And I said, no, I didn't, you know? I don't fucking read, I never read Burroughs. I'm sure he's great, but I just never read him. And uh, I got it from someone else. Uh, who I knew at the time, and uh, he was going to use it. It was one of a dozen names that he was going to use for his band, and uh, and then when he said to me, his band was called Praise of Lemmings. That's the name of the band that he had. He was like me. He just had different lineups, and it was just him basically. And uh, and he said, uh, I said, are you still call? He said, I've got the right lineup. I went, great. I said, are you still calling Praise of Lemmings? And he went, no, no. He said, we're called Culture Club. And I went, and I went. And Praise Lemmings was a really good name. And then he went, well, I was going to call it, and he went through a list of a dozen names, and number eight on the list was Sets Gang Children, and I just went, George, fuck it, stop. I said, that's the name you've got to use. That's the name. And he went, no, no, no. And he went, John, the drummer guy, he said, he said, was definitely against that name because he said, we're just a pop band, we want to be a pop band, and 
And I went, fucking great, that's fine, but you've got to use that name. And I ended up, I said, right, fuck this. And I ended up dragging him to the nearest cafe and we sat down and had coffee. I brought him a coffee and I went, you've got, and I spent about 20 minutes, half an hour telling him why I had to use that name. And then he just said to me, he said, look, he said, there's no way, he said, it's not going to happen. He said, he said, but you love the name. He said, why don't you use it? Because you are looking for a new name. And I went, I said, I'll come back to you in two days time and I'll let you know. And I said, I'll give you two days to decide whether you really want to stick with, you know, the name you've got now or whether you want to use Culture Club. But I gave him first choice because he came up with a name from Malcolm McLaren who got it from William Burroughs, apparently. So uh, that's how it came about. George was decided about not using Sex Can Children, so I used it. What pissed me off, what pissed me off, and I'll say this on record now, George, I love you dearly, and I saw you that night, you were great. You were great as Lee Bowery. But I didn't like the way your record company and your PR management handled this at the time in 1983. They had this big thing about Culture Club being called Sex Can Children before, that was the name before, and it was now used by another band who are now a cult band in England, and that's Bollocks. That is Bollocks. Uh, George did not use Sex Gang Children before, he only used it as one of 12 names. So I've got to set the record straight here. Um, politics is apparent, obviously, in your recent records and throughout your whole history, actually. Throughout um, the whole history, my friend. Throughout your whole history, and is there anything that felt you wanted to accomplish with your first sex game when you performed sex game children did you feel that there was a, there was a message that you had to come get across to your audience through your music or was it just the, your politics in general no I have no politics everything about me and this is true everything about me is based upon um, my observations and my feel is for everything in the world and uh, I have no I, I have no personal thing. Um, and whenever I do feel a personal thing against whatever or for something, I deal with it. It has no issues in anything that becomes a semi or, or even a one-to-one -one public thing. It's on a one-to-one -one basis. There's no personal thing involved in it. Um, I don't have any uh, ambitions to say anything. I never have had done. I think the songs have said what they said, and even if I don't think songs should browbeat or or literature or films or anything should any medium should never browbeat people into something. You can, you can be didactic in a sort of subtle way. What's didactic? I know that word, but what does it mean? It means sort of um, preaching to people, sort of putting a message through, a bit like Brett did in his plays, say. Um, he puts a message across and it's quite sort of, it's quite a strong message. He wants people to actually go along with it and, um, and agree with him. But there's a subtle way of doing it, um, with saying what you want to do without actually enforcing it on people. I don't think it's the way it's done. I think it's the intention with what you're doing. It's like advertising now wants you to fucking buy. And at times it might have been blatant and at times it might have been more subtle. But at the end of the day, the intention is the same. They don't give a fuck. They want you to buy. Um, and all politics, whichever end of the spectrum they fall into, are guilty of um, 
propaganda in not a good way and uh, and just selling something and I believe that the only way you can put something across is to let people come across in their own time and in their own way and present a mirror situation where they can see and then they can decide whether they will uh, you know go with that or whether they will look at it in that way or not they've got to have the choice um, sometimes you just feel like sticking it to them and right now I feel like sticking it to them not to the people partly as well because I feel people have become slaves and I think how the fuck can you let yourselves become slaves you fucking assholes I really do and uh, and I don't just say this in whatever medium that is used I say this to people's faces too and often get in fights about it for it fuck that whatever um, I think you've got to stick by what you do and what you believe but I believe however you want to put something across there is a great line from a great film called Mephisto and the great Austrian actor Klaus Mirabanda says when talking in this one scene about revolutionary politics within the play and he says before we can be revolutionary we first and foremost before art can become revolutionary it has to be good first and foremost and it does whatever if you're going to use a medium or even the medium of your voice in oration you've got to you've got to do it it has got to be good it, it, it's got to be good first and foremost and if you are convinced about something if you believe in something then for fuck's sake get convinced about it or if you're convinced about it then learn to portray it with your conviction learn to let your conviction out you know otherwise they're gonna fuck off to the bar and buy another pint or they're gonna fuck off home you know it's got to be good first before it can be revolutionary can I just ask you if 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 Coca-Cola sort of offered you sort of a million pounds to do some theme music for an advert would you just tell them to fuck off or would you think about it that depends you know one could one could earn money from a real bastard company um, if it was a real bastard company for example if it was BT I would most definitely just but I would make sure I said it to the right person I would just most definitely say fuck you because they are the enemy of all society of any society they are scumbags they really are Coca-Cola I don't know if it's a bad company McDonald's as well I'd say fuck off Coca-Cola, I don't know if they're a bad company or if they're just a company that's trying to make a fucking bigger profit or a buck or whatever, I don't know. Um, if somebody gives you total carte blanche to do what you want to do, fine. Um, it's still advertising, isn't it? No, it depends. Advertising, you know when I see an advert and I see a, a great song that is totally selling something that's shite, mm. I think that's wrong. I think that should not be used. They shouldn't have been allowed to use a classic song and especially when that song is a, a good advert is an advert which uses a great song um, from the Beatles or Jimmy Cliff or 
Marvin Gaye and they absolutely base everything about what they're doing around that song and they don't edit the song because time is money TV they don't do all that when when they do that they're scumbags um, if you're if you're selling if you're selling something that's really good and that's good for the people as people have done in the past then that's fine selling selling in itself is not bad it's it's a knife it's like a knife a knife is not bad a knife can be used to cut bread and feed people it can be used to kill people or harm people it's the intention with which you use it um, coca-cola that's a bit of a one they would never ask me two if I felt a really bad feeling from the person who put this across to me um, then I would nine out of ten times I would just say I'd be polite and say thank you no one out of ten times if I was in a so given mood I would just say fuck off out of the room now before I take you for everything you've got and I throw you out the window but nine out of ten times I'd just be polite and say look go away no in in short anyway I wouldn't I do not trust big companies I really don't no, but I believe awful. if you can change if you can change something for the better Virgin is a big company I think Richard Branson is a great entrepreneur I think he is where he is because of a meritocracy. Um, the Beatles are the, and the Stones, some of the biggest fucking selling bands in the world. Just because they're the biggest selling bands in the world, does that mean they're bad? No, they're not bad. They've made some of the greatest music in the world, you know? Yeah. It's the intention with what's behind what's being sold. That's what matters, that's what counts. People sell out for very little. You'll be surprised how people sell out for very little. They really do. Yes, they, they really, really do. do. They really do. And uh, I have quite a big problem with advertising. Okay. I think there's advertising and there's advertising. Uh, could I ask you about the EP Beast? Nicky Garrett produced it. How did he become involved with <sighs> Nicky Garrett was, um, he's a real diamond of a person. And he just so happened to see Sex Gang play somewhere and he came up to me and he said you really remind me of a band called Theatre of Hate and I was like well yes you know I, I love Theatre of Hate big influence and uh, early Theatre of Hate um, and uh, and he gave us support gigs because we we couldn't get gigs at the time I, I was spending I was outside of rehearsals I had no life I was on the phone all the time and seeing agents and trying to hustle for gigs and and uh, and Nicky Garrett gave us a couple of gigs and um, he, uh, he said, I'd like to produce you. And so he did. He produced the first single. He was a great guy. He still is a great guy. A wonderful man. A true, uh, one of the true people. Few true people. I can never speak highly enough of him or actually any other producer that um, has worked with Seth Gang. I think we've been very privileged, you know. Been very privileged with the producers we've worked with. We've learned something from every one of them, from Nicky Garrett to Simon Boswell to um, Tony James, you know. Yeah, how did uh, Into the Abyss was Tony James? Yeah. How did how did that? <laughs> well, I would, I would say um, Tony James. Uh, I was very worried about him at first, but he just so persisted. In, I, I was actually rude to him at first, the first few times, but he was so persistent 
in um, getting his point across in the nicest way. And I thought, he's putting up with me being like this. And, and I just bumped into him one day in King's Road. And he said, you know, come back and have a cup of tea and let's listen, you know, I'll play some things I like and you see what, you know, you like in my record collection and, and we took it from there. And I thought, this guy is such a really nice guy. I don't mean in a boring way, because the last thing Tony James is, is boring. This guy is one of England's or Britain's greatest genies of wild ideas. He really is. He is one of our most underrated talents as an ideas man. He really is. And, uh, and so, yeah, we took it from there. We ended up doing a, a demo in his home studio of a track that we wrote on the spot, and, uh, which was all basically inspired by him. He was a great, great guy. I would say the definitive sex gang producer from outside producers, yeah. You mentioned Simon Boswell. Oh, Simon Boswell was, uh, he came after Tony. He was, Simon Boswell was right for the time and uh, he was not as wild as Tony. Um, but Simon Boswell was, again, someone that one can learn a lot from and, you know, one did. He was great. He was absolutely great. Had a string of drummers, right? Um, <laughs> this this is well, fucking sounding like Spinal Tap, but it yeah, was, yeah. yeah. So we <laughs> just they came and they went. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. After the Marusha Mayer single, um, Six Gang Children were offered a deal, right, on CBS. Yeah, CBS. CBS. And uh, how, did you, what happened? <laughs> they wanted the name to be Re. Uh, well, dropped, whatever, dropped the children. And, uh, you know, when somebody asks you something, if you would choose to do that, if it's your own choice, for the right reasons, that's fine. But when somebody asks you to do that, it's because they're scared in some way. Fuck that. So we just said no. We said no, fucking I said no. If anyone else had, you know, they would have been out in their fucking hook. I was so adamant about no. So we just told them to, you know, take their cake and eat it. Six Gang Children refused to open for anybody, right? Is that correct? Absolutely. No, 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 that's true. Okay. Um, it's not out of arrogance, though there was a certain amount of arrogance, but arrogance because, you know, around was this fatted, corrupt, weak sort of, you know, as there always is in any scene, and, and we just thought, fuck that. Only ever supported or played with bands that had respect for. I mean, you know, there were like agents who, uh, when they didn't want to know, and I'd say in six months' time, you'll be fucking begging us. You'll be fucking phoning me back and saying, you know, and I said, remember this conversation. And often they'd hang up before I finished my, my piece, but uh, sometimes they wouldn't say, hey, don't take us a person. I'd say, you know, it's not about personal. It's like, it's fucking true. And you are not seeing it, blah, blah, blah. And I say, six months time, you'll be phoning back and I'll fucking remember this and hang up. And, um, and sure enough, they did. And they say, yeah, but we can offer you, you know, the Bauhaus tour, the Killing Joke tour, if you come on our agency. And I say, Fuck you. Six months ago, you remember I said this to you and say, yeah, yeah, but, and you just got to understand. Now, I sort of think, well, yeah, you know, these people, you mustn't take it personally, is that these people are just, they have no passion. They have no moral sense of 
whores, you know. They're just the way they are. They're, they're whores. But they're not good or bad. They're just the way they are. It's not good or bad at all. It's just the way they are. And, uh, but I was very militant and adamant about that. And, uh, and so was everyone else at the time. And uh, that's the way it had to be. Damn right. I, I totally refused that. I really, I, I think that's, uh, and something I didn't learn from Boy George, but I absolutely remembered what he said, and I totally agreed with it, which is he said, you know, like Culture Club, for example, he said, we will never be a support band. And this is a conversation we had over coffee. We'd never be a support band, you know, so, and, and I just went, fucking, and he explained the reasons why, and I went, I totally agree. You know, absolutely right. And a lot of people poo-poo Boy George has been some sort of like, you know, cheap pop, is he fuck? Boy George is one of the truest artists you can ever come across. He really is. As is Mark Ormond. They're, they're some of the truest artists and some of the hardest artists you'll ever come across. They've been through so much shit to, to do what they want to do and to achieve what they've achieved. They really have. And they achieved they have. And they've been through the ringer to do that. And there are a lot of so-called cult, you know, cool bands who are the biggest fucking slags. They're the biggest cocksuckers in, in, the, in music going. They're, they'll suck industry cock and they'll take it up the arse, you know. In jail, they're the people who shine your shoes and suck your dick in order to, like, you know, so that you'll protect them against, you know. Really are. And that's the truth that a lot of people don't see. And the people that are poo-pooed, Boy George, Mark Ormond, you know, that George Michael even, they're the people that have stood by their convictions of what they wanted to do. And I have every respect for them, I really do. I was just going to ask you, in uh, 1983 you worked with Mark on The Hungry Years. How did that yep. come about? It was his idea to do it, which I thought was brilliant. And what can I say, working with Mark, um, it was uh, such an eye-opener. It was, um, I felt I was really working with... Uh, I mean, none of us were sort of trained or that disciplined, and, uh, but Mark might not have been trained, but the guy was incredibly focused and disciplined, and I, that was such an eye-opener for me. He was so disciplined and focused, and I felt I was working with a real professional. <laughs> um, it was great, it, you know, it was his idea to do the vocals separately, where we didn't know what each other was doing. and. Uh, Except for the courses, and I, I said, no, I said, we need another section. And so I went off down this 24-hour cafe that was open down the road from the studios, which I used to hang out in, and uh, it was a real sleazy place. And I had to go there to, you know, you have to be in the dark sometimes to get some light, you know, vision or influence. And that course is very angelic, and uh, I got it because I was in a the place where it was full of transsexuals, transvestites, trans-Europeans, hookers, pimps, clippers, the works, you know, junkies. It was like, it was like the personification of hell on earth. And where can you find heaven but on hell on earth, you know? And so that's where the chorus came. And I ran back to the studio and I said to Mark, I said, this is the section. And I said, we do this together. But the rest of the... The rest of the thing was his idea to do it separately. I think it was very inspired and it worked. It worked. Shortly after that, you 
stopped using Sex Paint Children name, was that a disband? Disbanded or did you just get... No, 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 because there was always different, like, you know, people were coming and going anyway, and uh, there was a big problem in the mid to late 80s I had with uh, contracts, um, not just for a company but publishing as well with a name and uh, that was a real big problem until I got that sorted out and then I was free to use sex game children again. Brett was Blind was released as... Was that the first time you did well, after that? Blind was recorded as a sex game children album and then one time just before it was released I was taken to dinner by Keith Bagley of Illuminated Records <laughs> the record at the time, and uh, he took me to the most expensive restaurant in London, or one of them, and then he said, uh, and I was like, okay, what's all this about, you know, and I said, spit it out, because you want to say something, I said, let's cut to the chase, and he was very nervous, and he just went, uh, and then he told me, he said, look, he said, he said, the album's, you know, I think the album should be released as Andy Says Gang, not Says Gang Children, and I was like, I said, that's my choice, surely. And uh, and then he said, look, he said, it's already been pressed and it's been, it's, you know. And he explained why. And uh, I, I, I didn't throw a wobbler or whatever. I was like, I, I tried to see a side of things and uh, that was in the UK. When it was re-released um, as a Sex Game Children album, I had, I had no qualms about that because that's how it was recorded as a Set Scan Children album. I mean, for me, doing any Set Scan stuff, other than contractual problems which happened in the mid to late 80s, uh, that's been my choice of doing stuff that was a bit more idiosyncratic or more of my own personal flavour of influence, which is fair enough. And around this time, Dirty Roseanne. I'm sorry. The Dirty Roseanne. Oh, oh <laughs> what a wonderful experience that was. Um, I was in Bologna, and I wanted to get away from London and the whole thing. And uh, I was in Bologna in Italy, and um, I was in a bar one night, and I'd been introduced to this guy, um, Piero Bellici, who played in some big goth band in Italy anyway, called Neon. And he'd left them, and he was, um, and then we were sitting in this bar one night. It was just for closing and he was sitting at the piano just playing with a fag hanging out of his mouth and I just went that is so fucking beautiful what is that he said he said this is something I've got in my head and so I said right I said I said uh, do this I said go there and I said and we just we just arranged it that night and and then uh, end of the night as we left it I said tomorrow I said book a studio to demo this I said we're going to record this and next day morning he phoned me said well I, I booked a studio a friend of mine in the studio so uh, and we recorded it later on that afternoon and uh, we demoed it and then I said right now I said go find a label here that could put it out and he did and so we recorded it I would say this the demo versions of Dirty Rose Yan the A, the a side Ghost of Tomorrow was far superior to the recorded version better feel you know but that's how it came about Spontaneity. Go with your instinct. Following was um, Arco Valley. You uh, work with Nick Bronson. Yes. And, uh, 
love to talk about that. I I would love to. Um, I know there's not enough time to say everything that needs to be said about Mick Ronson. He was um, the one person I think I learned most from. And you know, people work with you and uh, to a certain point. But Mick Ronson went far beyond that point. And I not I did not always get on with him or agree with him on certain things when it came to recording whatever. But uh, before that, he was my best friend for about a year before, 18 months before. Um, we hung out and he was just spending most of his time up in my flat in Brixton. And uh, he was so... At this time, no one in London, even my ex-players, um, they would not be seen with me because they wanted to get work with other bands doing session work, whatever. And uh, um, if they was record companies uh, had put out things that one company, I think it was Beggar's Banquet, um, the head guy had said, made a public statement saying he would never sign anyone to do with sex gang children. And I don't know why he said that because I met him one time and I didn't do anything to him. I didn't, I didn't deck him or anything. And uh, he was okay with me, so I was okay with him. And uh, so I don't know why this asshole said this thing. Um, I just wish I'd met up with him afterwards, but uh, after he said that, but he said it. And so everyone, like, just totally dissed me, just totally stayed away from me. Even people who I thought were loyal to me. And Mick Ronson was the only one who said, I said, why are you with me? Why are you not afraid to be seen with me in music parties or clubs or gigs? And he said, I don't give a shit about, he said, I know there is, you are blacklisted. You are, you have a reputation that's really against you within the music industry. But he said, I don't give a shit about that. He said, you're an okay guy and that's why, you know. And he was my only true ally and friend. And then we worked together. And when I realized that he was the right person, and it wasn't at first, it was well after, that he was the right person, once I'd got the album in place, in my head, everything in place, and I thought, I thought of other producers and I thought, he was the right one. And uh, one time he came back to my place after going to a local pub in Brixton, and I said to him, Mick, I said, I was making some coffee and I said, we were both a bit drunk, and I said, Mick, I said, you're going to produce my next album. And he just laughed and went, you can't afford me. <laughs> I said, fuck that. I said, you will produce my next album. I know you will. Because I knew that he was right to do it. And you do not question that divine sense of right. And also, I knew that he was bound by that same law. And he would only do, he would do music if it felt right. No way I could afford him. Fuck that. It didn't matter. And I, I wasn't trying to do anything on the cheap or anything. It was like... He was right for it. And he did it. And one day, he came up and he went, like a week after that, and he went, okay, um, he said, uh, well, let's hear one of these new songs, you know. And the first song I played him was Station 5. And I knew it. I just smiled and I took the guitar and I went, I knew you'd ask this question. And I played him Station 5. And he just went, that's good, that's good. And he picked up one of my electric guitars and just started sort of playing along. And he went, that's good, that's good, you know. And he started playing along. And then the next day, he, and I knew he was hooked from there on. And next day he came up with um, some equipment. He said, oh, I just brought some toys along. He said, Let, let's play through some more songs. And then the next day he came back with more equipment in his car from his house, you know. And he said, uh, effects and stuff like that and all these like, toys. And he said, uh, play me some more songs, you know. And that's how it came about. And we worked on it. But I knew he would do it. Even though he thought 
I was ridiculous for saying it, but that's how it came about. He was, um, he was, he's one of the truest people that ever walked the earth and that was involved in music. He really was. You worked on uh, soundtrack for Phenomena. Mm -hmm. And uh, how did that come about? And did you actually meet with Argento and speak about the, what, what he wanted or what you wanted? No, never. Never talked about that. Um, that's always a given thing. Um, the story is this. Uh, well, I got a call in London from Son Bosel, and he said, look, he said, this guy, I'm doing this thing in Italy, this guy wants you to, you know. And Simon Bosel had not um, worked on Blind yet. He'd only done a remix of um, Dici, a 12-inch remix, which I, I really liked. and. Um, and I'd met him, I think, once a couple of times, and uh, he was a nice guy, you know, I liked him. And, uh, and then he phoned me and said, look, he said, he, said, I was, I, he was playing the 12-inch uh, remix he'd done to this engineer in the studio in Italy, and, uh, and Dario Argento walked in and uh, said, who is that voice? Because he heard the Dici 12-inch, and uh, Simon just went, this guy, you know, just done in a, this band in London, and uh, he said, can you get him over here? You know, can will he contribute to, you know? And that's how it came about. So, um, I went, you know, it was a carte blanche thing. We went there and we did what we did. And um, yeah, I met with Dario and um, his, his girlfriend was a real fucking babe, you know? And uh, he was married still, but you know, they were separated of the relationship. And uh, his girlfriend was a real babe. And um, the only problem we had was um, I totally flirted with his girlfriend. I really did. But but I loved him. I loved Dario because um, he uh, partied hard. You know, he really partied hard. And he matched me in my sense of partying. And I liked that. I really did. Um, Simon's a great fellow. Doesn't really party hard. He was like... He wants to cross that line, but he always never crosses it. And uh, Dario, like me, will always cross that fucking line. And I like that. So we had some good times. And I, I liked him. And what, at first, once I got over the fact that um, everybody was like, very much in awe of this guy, Dario Gento, and uh, was, all the people around him were total fucking sycophants, you know. They really were. And once we got over that, once I got over that and... Uh, and I stopped being kind of rude to him. It was, um, we got on okay. And then, with, you know, I realized he was a really, he was an okay guy. And so we partied a few times and he was great. But yeah, he was a great guy, what can I say? I think his sense of photography is beautiful. Um, I disagree with some of the things that he does on film, uh, I, I, I think. I think he doesn't get some things right, but uh, I think his, his sense of vision is spot on. I really do. So I respect him. Um, yeah, so we'll, let's go back to my fuck up. Uh, let's talk about Rob Stroud. Rob Stroud. Great guy. Um, he was the first member of Sex Gang. And, uh, okay, hold on. It's starting, the rain's starting to pick up. All right. Let's, let's go inside. I have to follow you, right, because we're right, hooked up. Right, hooked up. Um, could you do me a favor? Thank you. 
What about all this yeah, stuff? I'll, uh, I'll, can you grab that? I'll grab it. I got it, man. I got it. Oh, One sec. And so that brings us to the end of the first Andy interview. I hope you found it interesting and possibly enlightening and intriguing intriguing oh. what other words can we throw in there mysterious i don't know <laughs> still andy still might be a mystery to you so it could be mysterious could be he's a little shady <laughs> um <laughs> Anywho, Safuge, if you like to Andy and reading, make sure you check out his websites, andysexgang.com, sexgangchildren.com. You can check out the um, Sex Gang back catalog at sexgangchildren.bandcamp.com. You can check out Andy's solo stuff and the new Sex Gang Children album, Oligarch, at liberationlondon.bandcamp.com. Cool. And you can, even more important than all those web links... You can check ours out at yes. bittersweetandtwistedrecords.com. Yes. Please do. And I feel like I've shoved enough words into this podcast to last until next week. The next time. Not, not next week. The next time. You're next right. Next time. Two weeks. Sure. All right, people. All right. We'll see you Bye. next time. Adios. Take care. All right. See you later. All right. I'm going to have the last word. Last word. Word. Ah. <laughs>